episode of But Why Do You Like It? Normally, I have a guest on to talk to me about movies they love that aren't, you know, very good. This time, though, I'm doing something different. I'm going to talk about a series of movies and a character that's extremely near and dear to my heart and brain. I'm talking, of course, about Godzilla and the Toho Godzilla films from Japan specifically. I have been obsessed with Godzilla since I was a child. I remember watching it very young. Maybe I was like seven or eight. Caught it on a Saturday morning little, um, you know, matinee TV showing, whatever you want to call that. And it was awesome. Truly excellent viewing. I don't recall which Godzilla it was that I first saw. I don't, I'm fairly certain it was not the first one, the one from 1954, the original. But I do know that it was excellent. And I kind of wanted to start this special episode off with something totally different. I'm going to read an excellent piece by a critic named Steve Rifle, R-Y-F-L-E. And he wrote a piece for the gigantic Godzilla Showa-era films Criterion Collection box book blah blah box slash book set of Criterion Blu-rays and it's called Reign of Destruction with deafening footfalls and an ear-splitting roar Gojira known in the west as Godzilla first thundered into Japan's movie houses on November 3rd, 1954. Six and a half decades later, the monster presides over an international entertainment franchise, having starred in 32 feature films produced in Japan and three so far in Hollywood. Countless TV commercials, television series, comic books... You name it. Godzilla has transformed over time from powerful atomic allegory to children's superhero and back again. And with the dawn in 2019 of the Reiwa era, the monster's career spans the reigns of three Japanese emperors, Hirohito, Akihito, and now Naruhito. But as the Godzilla films made during Showa from 1926 to 1989, the era denoting the reign of Emperor Hirohito, Japan's wartime ruler and post-war figurehead that defined the kaiju Aiga, the uniquely Japanese 
brand of giant monster cinema and the creature on the loose parameters of Godzilla filmed them. Bookended by Ishiro Honda's 1954 masterpiece Godzilla and Honda's last movie, Terror of Mechagodzilla in 1975, the 15 Showa era films took Godzilla far and wide, with many of them playing theatrically not only in Japan but also across North America, Europe, Latin America, and other territories. Before going into television syndication for many years, establishing Godzilla as an enduring icon in the worldwide pop cultural landscape. The original Godzilla is Honda's lament for the nuclear age. It was produced amid a months-long public crisis that occurred after fishermen aboard a tuna boat christened the Lucky Dragon Number no. 5 unwittingly strayed dangerously close to a U.S. hydrogen bomb test at Bikini Atoll in the South Pacific in March 1954. When they returned home, severely ill with radiation sickness, a national panic over radio, radioactive fallout ensued. Japan had been transformed from defeated imperial power to economically resurgent young democracy with close ties to Washington. Yet the Lucky Dragon incident seriously strained U.S.-Japan relations for the first time since the post-war occupation had ended in 1952. Many citizens likened the fishermen's fate to a third nuclear strike on Japan and a national protest calling for a ban on nuclear testing arose. Honda's film hints at these tensions. The opening scene in which Godzilla invisibly attacks a salvage ship is an unmistakable reference to the lucky dragon and the fear it inspired, what Honda called an invisible fear that nuclear annihilation could happen at any moment. Embodied by the monster, this fear haunts the movie and deftly politicizes what otherwise might have been a straight sci-fi entertainment. Godzilla is also a Cold War movie with an awareness of Japan's geographic entrapment between two superpowers engaged in a deadly arms race. But Honda does not point the finger at the U.S. for having awakened the monster with its H-bomb tests or metaphorically for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In fact, the U.S. is never mentioned by name, and when Godzilla attacks the Japan Self-Defense Forces, the real-life version of which had been established earlier in 1954, fight alone, and no representation of the thousands of U.S. military personnel actually stationed in Japan at the time for the ostensible purpose of helping defend it is anywhere to be seen. It's both an aspirational view of post-war Japan reasserting its sovereignty and acknowledgement of what many Japanese officials worried, that the Mutual Security Treaty of 1951 gave Washington permission to use Japan as an anti-Soviet launch pad, but fell short of guaranteeing Japan's safety in return. Honda saw the nuclear threat as a global problem and expressed his concerns through two scientists, young chemist Dr. Daisuke Sirizawa, played by Akihiko Hirata, who sacrifices himself to save Japan from Godzilla and the world from a weapon potentially worse than the H-bomb, and paleontologist Professor Kiyohai Yamane Takashi Shimura, who solemnly warns that mankind will ultimately perish if the madness persists. Quote, If nuclear testing continues, 
then someday, somewhere in the, in the world, another Godzilla may appear. Give me a second. I'm going to take a sip of a drink. The synergy between Godzilla's anti-nuclear theme and actual events was both a coincidence and clever business. Toho Studios, originally founded in 1932 as Photochemical Laboratory, had been a cinematic powerhouse during the war years, producing combat epics that were both entertainment blockbusters and propaganda for Japan's imperial ambitions. During the U.S. occupation, the film industry was in disarray. American air raids during the war had damaged or destroyed studios and cinemas, and policies dictated by occupation authorities had empowered labor unions to strike and disrupt business, causing domestic film production to plummet. Toho had the worst of it, with massive strikes that nearly closed the studio and sent much of its top talent elsewhere. But by 1954, Japanese cinema was resurgent, and Toho's fortunes had rebounded. An ambitious producer named Tomoyuki Tanaka pitched Japan's first-ever giant monster movie with the idea of tying the fictional monster to the real-life nuclear drama touched off by the Lucky Dragon incident. Tanaka needed to go bold for another blockbuster project starring Shirley Yamaguchi and Ryo Ikebe, two of Japan's top stars at the time, had just collapsed under his watch. Godzilla was an unproven property, but Tanaka knew that two giant monster epics, the Hollywood film Kong Kong, King Kong, Kong Kong, <laughs> which was released internationally in 1952, <clears throat> and the independently produced American atomic dinosaur thriller The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms in 1953, from which Godzilla borrows its basic plot, had both recently been enormous hits overseas. Godzilla would be among Japanese cinema's most expensive and riskiest movies to date. But studio production chief Iwao Mori, long known as a driving force in the industry, gave the green light. Before Godzilla, Ishiro Honda had made a handful of low-key dramas about young people navigating the cultural, social, and economic changes of post-war Japan. While other directors demurred when asked to take on the project, seeing Godzilla as too lowbrow or outlandish, Honda embraced the challenge because of his boyhood interest in science and his personal anti-war leanings. Though he was not Toho's first choice, Honda was eventually selected in part because he had proved himself capable of delivering a blockbuster. His film Eagle of the Pacific, a docudrama-style chronicle of the naval campaigns led by Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, was a major commercial hit and revived the dormant war picture genre. Eagle also marked the first significant collaboration between Honda and special effects artist Ei Tsuburaya, who had previously won accolades for his expertly filmed scale model reenactments of military battles during the heyday of war epics, but was then reportedly expelled from the industry by occupation authorities for having worked on such films. Tasked with creating the titular monster and its trail of destruction in Godzilla, Tsuburaya... Sorry, that's a hard one to pronounce. Was about to reemerge as a major creative force in the industry. His tokusatsu techniques, most notably the innovative combination of a man in suit monster and miniature cityscapes, would come to define the visual aesthetics of the cinematic world inhabited by Godzilla and later its monster cohorts. 
Godzilla itself a massive imaginary reptile that combines features of various dinosaurs and other animals was designed by Akira Watanabe, an artist on Suburiaya's team. Though the creature's look would evolve over time, it would never stray far from the awe-inspiring 1954 original. And Suburiaya's painstakingly constructed worlds, if not always realistic, would give the audience a close-up view of the urban devastation caused by the kaiju. It established a tradition of Japanese handmade special effects filmmaking that would survive into the digital age. The techniques coalesced with Honda's somber direction and composer Akira Ifukube's powerful martial music and eerie dirges into a symphony of destruction, as film historian Stuart Galbraith IV has called it. Godzilla resonated with Japanese audiences eager for large-scale entertainment, yet still haunted by the atomic bombings and the war. The film ranked eighth at the annual box office amid a field of now-classic films, including Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai at number one. In the quickie sequel, Godzilla Raids Again, directed by Motoyoshi Oda, Anti-war themes are largely ignored in favor of fast-paced action. This was the first versus film with Godzilla facing off against the spiny Anguirus in Osaka. The film was similarly similarly successful, but the seeds of a franchise were not yet planted. It would be seven years before Godzilla's return, a period that coincided with the golden age of Japanese cinema. All the major studios, Toho, Dai, Shochiku, Nikatsu, Shintoho and Toei were booming during this time, each specializing in one or more genres. While its rivals found success with Samurai and Yakuza pictures, Toho divided its output between works by Akira Kurosawa, Makio Noruse, and other prestige directors, and program pictures in popular genres showcasing its stars. Toho also expanded the possibilities of the Kaiju Aiga, producing Rodan, which introduced the flying monster of the same name, the alien invasion epic, The Mysterians and Mothra, a game-changing hit that introduced a good, quote-unquote, monster, a happy ending, comedy and fantasy elements, and a family-friendly approach to the genre. While it was absent from Japanese cinemas in the late 50s, Godzilla became an international star. Producer Joseph E. Levine acquired the rights to the the original 1954 film, and after it was famously altered with newly filmed scenes starring Raymond Burr as a reporter caught in the monster's path, the Americanized Godzilla, King of the Monsters, in 1956, became a smash across the U.S. This version, distributed far more widely around the globe than the original Japanese cut, introduced the world to the transliterated name Godzilla, and perhaps more significantly, it created a template for U.S. distributors to acquire... Cheaply, Japanese genre pictures dub them, often poorly, into English and make other edits and deletions as they saw fit, sometimes to the film's great detriment. In Japan, Kaiju Aiga were regarded as mainstream genre pictures with relatively big budgets and big stars. Overseas, the films became laughable B-movies thanks largely to American distributors' mishandling of them. Among the most egregious cases in point is Godzilla Raids Again, which was severely re-edited, dubbed, rescored with library tracks, and retitled Gigantus the Fire Monster. 
After World War II, Japan was decimated by poverty, food shortages, crime, and a general malaise that continued into the 50s. But by 1962, the country's economic miracle, a rapid recovery fueled by robust overseas trade and other factors, had changed the national mood to one of optimism. Fittingly, Godzilla's return to the big screen exchanged the black and white pessimism of the first two films for color and widescreen action comedy. Toho had secured the rights to star King Kong in a film and needed a worthy opponent for the Big Ape, and thus came King Kong vs. Godzilla, released in Japan in 1962, presented here in its 1963 international version. It was one of Toho's banner 30th anniversary releases, and it was a blockbuster facing, placing fourth at the box office in an exemplary year for Japanese cinema. It remains the most highly attended Japan-made Godzilla movie of all time. Honda directed the film in the vein of Toho's popular salaryman comedies and parodied the banality of Japanese television programming, which a prominent social critic worried at the time was turning Japan into a nation of 100 million idiots. (laughs) Even so, Honda still viewed Godzilla as an anti-war, anti-nuclear symbol, and he was uncomfortable with the studio's insistence that the monsters engage in humanized behavior and physical comedy, harbingers of future developments. The final battle has King Kong portrayed by an actor in a furry costume rather than with the stop-motion techniques of the original King Kong and Godzilla mimicking comical professional wrestling moves. The severely recut version that Universal International released in the U.S. the following year was a big box office hit as well. Following this film's success at home and abroad, the Godzilla franchise truly began. Other studios soon produced copycat kaiju, the most famous being Dai's films featuring the giant flying turtle Gamera, the first of which came out in 1965. The Godzilla movies of the 60s show evidence of Japan's continuing economic growth, a rise in consumer culture, amusement parks, massive construction for the 1964 Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo. Meanwhile, Godzilla and its monster co-stars evolved from existential threats into Japan's protectors. Mothra vs. Godzilla marks the last Showa appearance of a truly hostile, destructive Godzilla. Later that same year, in Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra begrudgingly team up to fight the titular threat. American producers now began investing in Toho's monster films and bringing faded Hollywood stars to Japan in order to make the films even more saleable overbroad. Invasion of Astro Monster in 1965 has Godzilla starring opposite Nick Adams of television's The Rebel. Unburdened by war symbolism, the monsters now evince even more of a comic streak. After a skirmish in Invasion of Astro Monster from which it emerges victorious, Godzilla does a silly jumping dance made popular by a mega character around the same time. The Godzilla series was by now indulging in vague continuity and tonal shifts from film to film, inconsistencies that would continue throughout the remainder of the Showa series, and that reflect the influences of two principal screenwriters, each with a very different style, who wrote the majority of Toho's Kaiju Ega. The affable young at heart Shinichi Sekizawa penned more lighthearted, fantastical, and upbeat monster movies. The more pessimistic, anti-authoritarian Takeshi Kimura wrote stories with darker themes, including 1968's Destroy All Monsters and 1971's Godzilla vs. Hidora. As Godzilla transformed from public menace to heroic figure, the monster was given more personal characteristics. 
Haruo Nakajima, the principal suit actor to play Godzilla from 1954 on, relished the part and gave the monster recognizable traits and tics. A menacing stare, a cocky attitude, courageous determination that were a big part of its appeal around the world. Nakajima would continue to play Godzilla until retiring in 1972. By the latter half of the 60s, television viewership had exploded, and Japanese films were fast losing ground at the box office. Kaiju Ego, with their relatively big budgets, were prime targets for cutbacks. Sorry, lost my place. While Honda took a two-year hiatus from Godzilla films, the reins of the series went to action director Yun Fukuda, whose Ibiro Horror of the Deep takes cues from the James Bond series and whose Son of Godzilla combines sci-fi technology, giant insects, Godzilla's offspring Manila, and a female castaway living in the jungle, Tarzan style. Both films are set on islands, eliminating the need to build costly miniature cityscapes, and with Ai Shishibara now dividing his time between Toho and his own television production company, the special effects were directed by his protege, Saitamasa Arakawa. There is a fresh energy and pace to the Fukuda films that contrasts with Honda's more reserved approach. Both also feature rousing jazzy scores by Masoru Sato, the primary composer for Akira Kurosawa. The year 1967 marked Japan's kaiju boom as all five movie studios produced at least one giant monster feature for the first and only time. But the genre's popularity had peaked five years earlier. With television having supplanted film as Japan's primary entertainment medium, the movie studios went into retrenchment. Toho's restructuring saw longtime actors and directors, including Honda, who became dismayed by the industry's state and retired, removed from its payroll and its special effects department downsized. As if acknowledging the industry's misfortunes at the turn of the 70s, Toho produced Godzilla vs. Adora, which keeps the focus on negative aspects of Japan's growth. This time, the massive industrial pollution of the air and water gives rise to a giant sludge monster. An outlier in the series that has long been pigeonholed as a classic bad film, Hedora is an entertaining mix of monster action, psychedelia, and ecological, ecological awareness. It was the brainchild of rookie director Yoshimitsu Bano, two of whose inspirations for the film were Rachel Carson's 1962 book Silent Spring and the inaugural Earth Day held in 1970. Kaiju were immensely popular on Japanese television in the early 70s. Though Suibaria died in 1970, his company continued to produce television series centering around new iterations of Ultraman, the monster-battling alien superhero, and there were numerous shows featuring similar heroes and monsters. But as audiences for such programs grew, ticket sales for monster movies shrank, and so film budgets continued to decline. The final phase of the Showa Godzilla series, everything from Godzilla vs. Hedorah forward, exhibits both the effects of the industry's economic challenges and Toho's wholehearted embrace of the young audiences that had helped these movies remain viable. While more traditional fans might lament Godzilla's faded glory by this point, those who were introduced to the creature through its heroic 70s exploits celebrate the film's quirks, their heavy use of stock footage, their downscaled productions, their monster battles, their monster battles with flying kicks, their huge explosions as an essential part of their appeal. 
the later Showa movies also find their makers continuing to push whatever envelopes they still could, attempting to expand the kaiju universe despite dwindling resources. Godzilla vs. Gigan and Godzilla vs. Megalon, both directed by Fukuda, are noticeably made for an ever-younger target audience. Much of Gigan takes place at a children's theme park, and Megalon features another schoolboy protagonist, this one with a size-changing robot, Jet Jaguar, in the family. Megalon did relatively poor business in Japan, but U.S. distributor CinemaShares had great success with its stateside release in 1976, followed by a primetime TV network airing of the film hosted by comedian John Belushi in a Godzilla suit. Both Megalon and Godzilla vs. Hidora which had likewise received a relatively wide U.S. theatrical release, have had significant influence on how viewers and critics in the West perceive the genre, even if they are hardly representative of the Showa series as a whole. The final two Showa Godzilla films, both of which pit pit Godzilla against a robotic doppelganger, represent a partial return to form, which which somewhat more mature themes and improved production values, though each is noticeably different from the other in tone and style. Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla in 1974 is also directed by Fukuda and features his signature action sequences and a rousing Masuru Sato score. Next, Honda was brought out of retirement to, to direct Terror of Mechagodzilla. The welcome return of composer Akira Ifukube helped restore much of the sonic power and majesty that Godzilla had lacked since Destroy All Monsters. After being reduced to a children's matinee star and with its box office prospects continuing to decline, Godzilla went into forced retirement after Terror of Mechagodzilla and would not appear again until Toho's 1984 Godzilla, a.k.a. The Return of Godzilla, a direct follow-up to the 1954 original that elides all the Showa sequels. Toho has launched several Godzilla series since then. The Hisai era films from 1984 to 1995, of which the 1984 Godzilla, though technically made during the Showa period, is considered a part. The Millennium series from 1999 to 2004, and the post-millennial iteration, which consists so far of one film, Hidekai Anno's Shin Godzilla in 2016, that year's highest-grossing live-action domestic film and winner of Japan Academy Prizes for Best Picture and Director, among several others. Films of recent decades have tended to reposition Godzilla closer to Honda's original incarnation as a destructive force of nature and to incorporate contemporary issues such as the Fukushima disaster, Japanese nationalism, and the bubble economy of the 90s as themes. You won't see Godzilla doing jump kicks or dancing in these films, nor in the recent CGI-heavy Hollywood productions by Legendary Pictures, Godzilla in 2014 and Godzilla King of the Monsters in 2019. While Godzilla has evolved with the times, the Showa series as a whole is undeniably the foundation of this ever-growing pop culture phenomenon. This is where Toho's menagerie of kaiju first won the hearts and imaginations of film fans around the globe where unforgettable battles between Godzilla and its foes flattened entire swaths of Japan, a visceral display of destruction then unparalleled in American sci-fi pictures, where the monsters became characters with personalities and heroic bravura, where the allure of an analog, handmade special effects world forged an alternate reality that spanned cultural divides. Though largely dismissed in their time by critics and scholars in both Japan and the West, the Showa films have deservedly attracted new interest from these quarters. In the U.S., this re-evaluation began in 2004, when, for the original Godzilla's 50th anniversary, Honda's director's cut received a major 
art house theatrical release across America for the first time. It was then featured at the TCM Classic Film Festival in 2014. Over the past decade plus, most of the Showa Godzilla films have been released in the West in their original Japanese cuts with subtitles on home video and in limited revival house engagements, revealing how unjustly treated and unfairly criticized the genre was for so long. This Criterion set marks the first time the entire 15-film Showa series has been released in a single package. It's a reminder that Godzilla's influence goes well beyond the original of Tana of Honda's 1954-year text. The art of the Showa movies represents a collection of many cinematic highs and a few lows that define what Godzilla and its monster cohorts have meant to generations of fans of Japes, in Japes. <laughs> Try to combine Japan and U.S. in Japan, the United States, and worldwide. Man, that is a great piece. I hope none of you got extremely, you know, overly bored. Now... I'm going to continue talking because I want to talk about my favorite movies in this series. Now, most people would probably go with the first one in 1954, the original, the original, the black and white original. And while it is great, there's so much greatness in it. I actually would not even rank it in the top two. I would say it's probably the third best in my opinion. I really, obviously, you know, the introduction of Godzilla is incredible. It always will be incredible in any movie Godzilla shows up in because Godzilla fucking kicks ass. But when you go back and watch this version, it definitely is, as mentioned earlier in that piece I just read, it is fairly slow. It's a slow movie. Which is understandable. It's the style of the director and it's introducing a monster and it can't just come out fucking guns blazing, destroying everything. It's got to set things up. That's the way of any franchise. So I would have to say the 1954 original is probably number three on the list. Now, if I'm going to rank my favorite ones I'm going to have to say 1964's Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster is my favorite it's so fucking awesome you've got Godzilla taking on King Ghidorah this three-headed lizard dragon type wild fucking monster just kicks fucking ass it's such a fast moving film and Ishiro Honda directed it and he's normally like more of a slow pace guy but it is so fast and the pacing is amazing and each monster in the movie gets an awesome entrance Ghidorah's fiery birth like especially being one of the most memorable in the entire series. It is such an awesome, awesome movie. I cannot recommend Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster enough. If you're going to start with Godzilla movies and you're trying to be like, I don't really want to watch the very first one. I want to just jump into the series and get a taste of what it is. 
go with Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. After that, I'm actually going to go with one that's not really super controversial because a lot of people liked it, but I really, really, really liked Terror of Mechagodzilla. I think... I think it's just awesome. I think it's just fucking so much fun. It's so cool. And once again, it's it's kind of, it's not really, I don't want to say it's comical, but it is so fucking like colorful and ridiculous. And I think it's everything a Godzilla movie should be. I really do. I would say that that's, that's definitely number two. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, I would go with number four because I already ranked the original Godzilla at number three. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla is a lot of fun. I don't really have much to say about it other than it just being a ton of fun. I'm going to, after that, going to go with probably Godzilla and, well, Godzilla versus King Kong. Or maybe, no, no, I think after that, I think I'm going to go with Destroy All Monsters. Destroy All Monsters is fucking awesome. Now, it's not as good story-wise as, like, you know, Godzilla and Ghidorah. It's not as good story-wise as the original Godzilla, but it is so fucking cool and so much fun. Then after that, I think I'm going to go with, let's see, I think I will probably go with Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Or did I already say that? No, I don't think I already said that. I After that, it gets a little hazy, because of the movies, of all the Godzilla movies that I've seen, I haven't seen Godzilla Raids again. I haven't seen King Kong versus Godzilla. I haven't seen Mothra versus Godzilla in a long time. Although I do remember really liking Mothra versus Godzilla. But if you're going to start, do not... <laughs> I repeat, do not start with freaking <laughs> son of godzilla son of godzilla there's i don't find anything redeeming about it i feel like it is so bad so awful there's it's too much comedy it's too much aimed at children and it's frustrating to watch as a godzilla fan do not start there I I would have to say maybe just don't even start with it at all. Don't. Don't watch it. It's not good. It just it flat out sucks. There's barely anything redeeming in it except for just Godzilla's in it. But that's about it. After that the second worst I would have to say is Godzilla versus Hedora. <sighs> it's from 1971 and it is it's nowhere, nothing could be as bad as Son of Godzilla. But Godzilla versus Hedorah is not awesome by any stretch of the imagination. It is just really campy, not campy in a good way. It's, I don't know. I even found it boring at times. And, you know. 
that's not something any Godzilla movie should be. Godzilla should never be boring. Godzilla should always at least be entertaining. And that's the problem with Hedorah and Son of Godzilla. Now, you know, after that, I would probably say, like, Terror of Mechagodzilla. No, I put... See, I'm, like, I'm doubling back on... I'm doubling back on my rankings. I was... I switched and went to the end and was trying to talk about the worst movies. And then I started to put Terra of Mechagodzilla after that, trying to say that it was one of the worst. But no, I, then I flipped back and was talking about the best. <laughs> no, what I meant to say, the third worst, in my opinion, is Godzilla versus Gigan. Now, can any of you tell that um, I've, this is just a ridiculous episode where I'm just kind of freewheeling and have already had a drink and am just like all over the place with my brain. You know what? Who even cares? Who cares? This is a ridiculous episode anyway. If you don't want to listen to it, you know, you can turn it off like five minutes in, but I'm literally just trying to remember how I would rank my Godzilla movies. Actually, you know what? Fuck that. The most important thing to know is you need to watch Ghidorah. You need to watch Terror of Mechagodzilla. You need to watch frickin... <laughs> you need to watch Godzilla vs. Kong if only just to see Godzilla and Kong fight, but also because there's a remake coming out hopefully next year that we get to see. Honestly, the only two in the series I would recommend you not watching if you want to just sit down and watch all the Godzilla movies are Son of Godzilla and fucking Godzilla versus Hedora. Other than that, you know, go through. Start at the beginning. Start with Godzilla. Go to Godzilla Raids again. Go after that to fucking King Kong versus Godzilla. Go after that to fucking Mothra versus Godzilla. Just go down the list in order. You know, f- get fucking high or drunk one day and just sit and watch them all. They're easy to find. They're easy to find movies. And if you have to rent them, so what? Fuck you if you don't want to rent Godzilla movies. You're an idiot if you don't want to rent Godzilla movies. So take it from me. <laughs> Giant monsters are awesome, first of all. Second of all, Godzilla is the most awesome of the giant monsters. If you want to make fun of me for being like a little kid with these movies, that's fine too. I don't really care. I love them. I've always loved them. And I don't really have to justify anything beyond that. I am an adult man that loves the Godzilla franchise and character.